0: You're listening to Comedy Central. October 16, 2019. From Comedy Central's world news headquarters in New York, this is the Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Tonight, First, her new memoir is about her search for redemption in America's prison system. Centoya Brown-Long will be joining us, everybody. And then, after that, we're gonna chat with a superstar comedian and an actor who's out with her first book. Ali Wong is gonna be on the show. Also tonight's show, China is joining the Lakers. You never have to touch your phone again, and the Trumps and Bidens play Family Feud. So let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with some sports news. The conflict between the NBA and China over the Hong Kong protests continued this week, but now King James has stepped into the fray. In Hong Kong tonight, basketball superstar LeBron James under fire, his famed jersey up in smoke, furor growing over his response to this tweet sent by Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey earlier this month in apparent support of anti-government protesters.
1: I don't want to get into a feud with Daryl um, uh, Morey, but I believe he wasn't educated on, on on the situation at hand. Those comments
0: setting off a political brush fire here at home. Republican senators quick to pounce. Rick Scott of Florida writing, clearly King James is the one who isn't educated on the situation. Nebraska's Ben sass, you're parroting communist propaganda. China is running torture camps and you know it. Yes, LeBron James is getting a lot of heat for not taking a stand against China and their oppression, with people even burning his jersey in Hong Kong. Which, by the way, if the NBA kept statistics of most jerseys burned, I think LeBron would dominate that, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Hong Kong burns his jersey. Cleveland burned his jersey. <laughs> Miami burned his jersey. <laughs> like, forget Nike. LeBron should get sponsored by a Kingsford lighter fluid. That's what they should do. <laughs> These guys has been killing it in every field you know, normally I would agree that NBA players shouldn't have to know the intricacies of East Asia policy, but at the same time, Dennis Rodman is basically the US ambassador to North Korea, so (laughs) I don't know what the rules are anymore. I don't know how it works. I also understand why people think LeBron's comments were insensitive or misguided. But at the same time, I get where he's coming from. Yeah, because the Houston Rockets GM slammed China on Twitter when LeBron was on his way to China. So LeBron was probably like, hey, man, stop this beef after I leave. What's wrong with you, man? I'm going there, because I would do the same thing. Like, if you asked me in China what I thought about China's policies, I'd be like, oh, I think China has policies. (laughs) And they are the policies that allow me to fly home from China. All right, but let's move on to a more American scandal involving Gina Rodriguez. Some people have said that the Latina actor has a history of making insensitive or condescending remarks about black people. And yesterday, she did not do herself any favors.
2: Be careful what you post on Instagram. Here is your fair warning, because actress Gina Rodriguez learned that the hard way.
1: Voodoo, I could do what you do. Believe me.
2: Niggas give me heebie-jeebies. Now apologizing for using the N-word in a post. Hey, what's up, everybody? I just wanted to reach out and apologize. I am sorry. I am sorry if I offended anyone by singing along to the Fugees, to a song I love, that I grew up on, I love Lauryn Hill, and um, I really am sorry if I offended you.
0: Okay, here's Trevor's tip of the day. <laughs> if you insist on saying the N-word when you're rapping along with a song, uh, don't do it on Instagram, yeah. <laughs> do it on The Masked Singer, okay, yeah. <laughs> Cause then people will have to wait three weeks to see if they get to be mad at you. Yeah, they'll be like, I think that was T-Pain who said it, but if it was Donnie Osmond, his ass is in big trouble. <laughs> I also think rappers should help. Yeah, cause like they make the songs. I think rappers could help prevent these incidents from happening in the first place, right? Cause think about it. Rappers already make songs that are safe for radio. I think now they need to make versions of their songs that are safe for non-black people. <laughs> yeah, they can just like re- replace the N word with something safe, like, like my friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, just change it. It's just like, and if you don't know, now you know, my friends. <laughs> it's a lot safer for everyone. <laughs> you just do it. So like every single song, ball so hard, ma- wanna find me. First, my friends gotta find me. <laughs> and finally, some tech news that'll change the way you make obscene gestures at your phone. Google's newest
2: phone works without even touching it. The Pixel 4 was unveiled at an event in New York City. Like Apple's iPhone, users can unlock the Pixel with their face, but the feature getting the most buzz is gesture control.
1: So let's say you're driving, listening to music, and you want to advance to the next track, you don't like that one, or you want to go back and listen to it
2: again. Google is hoping the new tech will lead to more sales in the highly competitive smartphone market.
0: Wow. The first phone that will turn everyone into a magician's assistant. (laughs) Call mom. (laughs) This really is amazing technology. You can open your phone just by waving at it. No one's ever had this technology, except the front door of a Walgreens. Never have we seen it before. (laughs) You know what's weird is how, like, the way we unlock our phones is evolving, right? Because first we had to type in a code, and then we just had to pick it up and look at it Now we can just wave at it without touching it. It feels like we're like slowly breaking up with our phone. Like we're just moving away. (laughs) The next one will let you unlock your phone by being like, it's not you, it's me. (laughs) You know who I also feel bad for? Bernie Sanders. Yeah, he shouldn't get this phone. He's gonna be setting that thing off all the time without meaning to. (laughs) It's just gesture control is gonna be like, and that's why we need to take on the 1%. Calling the one, no, 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 I'm not calling. I'm not calling, cancel, cancel. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. (laughs) Impeachment, it's democracy's mulligan. For weeks now, practically everyone has weighed in on the Ukraine scandal. From Trump to Pelosi to a cured rattlesnake, everyone (laughs) except the man at the center of it all, Hunter Biden. He sat on the board of a Ukrainian energy company while his dad served as vice president. And now that Trump is using it to target his dad, Hunter is finally speaking out. Hunter Biden speaking out for the first time, defending his business dealings in Ukraine, saying he did, quote, nothing wrong at all, but acknowledging to ABC News what he calls poor judgment. Did I make a mistake? Well, maybe in in the grand scheme of things, yeah. But did I make a mistake based upon some unethical lapse? Absolutely
1: not. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know.
0: I don't know, probably not. I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. Yeah, you know what, he's right. If Hunter's last name wasn't Biden, his life would have been a lot different. For one thing, he definitely wouldn't have gotten into the Harvard School of Surprise Massages. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I do appreciate Hunter's honesty there because he admits that he was probably hired by the Ukrainian energy company because of his last name. That's how the world works. A lot of people get opportunities because of who their parents are. Cindy Crawford's daughter is now a model. Andrew Cuomo's father was the governor of New York before him. And do you think Harry Potter would have gotten all that attention if it wasn't for his famous wizard parents? Right? No, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he wasn't a good wizard, but he was like the only student whose name Dumbledore knew. He was like personal. Yeah. Dumbledore called Ron in her mind, he was like Freckles and Girl Harry. And by the way, family names work the other way too. That's why Ginny Weasley was getting eaten by snakes in the basement. It took everyone 400 pages to notice that shit. (laughs) I'm just saying, man. The truth is your name could be a big reason that you get a leg up in life. Like I know for a fact, I know the only reason I got to where I am today is probably because my great-great-grandfather built the ark. Like, I, you know, (laughs) I accept that. What can I say, man? My great great grandpa loved boats and watching animals now, with that said, that's what he was doing on the boat, that's, that's normal. Now, with that said, with that said, <laughs> you can't deny, it. it's not a good look that a Ukrainian company hired Hunter Biden just months after Joe Biden became the Obama administration's point man on Ukraine, because it looks very much like he got this business because of his father's position. And I understand why a lot of people would complain about that. What I don't understand is why these people are complaining about that. Let's talk about the double standard. What do you guys think would happen if Donald Trump Jr. went to China and came back with $1.5? <laughs> no, no, not 1.5 billion, just $1.5. Can you imagine if I took three cents from the Ukraine or four cents from China. I mean, it's, it's it's unbelievable. We gave up our entire business so my father could run for president. We don't do anything overseas anymore. We gave up. We didn't have to. Do you see me on any boards? Do you see Don on any boards? Do you see Ivanka on any oh. boards? Okay, first of all, I'm not surprised nobody has put Beavis and Forehead on any corporate boards. <laughs> that's that's not like a, a scandal. That's not a thing. I don't even think they're allowed on diving boards. This is like... No, Eric, you're jumping off the wrong end. Jump into the wet part, dude. (laughs) And secondly, and secondly, if there was ever an example of people who got opportunities because of their names, it's these two. I mean, Donald Trump Jr. just got paid $50,000 to give a speech at a college. If he wasn't Donald Trump's son, why else would they be asking him to speak, huh? To share his expertise on bad beards, huh? (laughs) Uh, Or would it be more like, ladies and gentlemen, a man who once sat on a tree stump, Don Jr. It's like, so what happened was my bunions were acting up and there was no chair in sight. But then I remembered someone once told me, stumps are okay to sit on. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> also, also, if Trump's sons are actually concerned, like truly concerned about children of pl- politicians doing business overseas, then can someone please explain to me why they've been doing this? Trump promised no new
2: foreign deals, but that hasn't stopped his family from continuing business overseas. The Trumps have plowed ahead with deals in India, Indonesia, Uruguay, and the Philippines that were already in the works before Trump took office.
1: By Wednesday, Eric Trump will have gone to four countries on Trump company business since January 1st. In early January, it was a
2: trip to Uruguay for a glitzy party to promote a new property. This morning, Donald Trump Jr. is in India to promote Trump-branded condos two cities there.
0: As a business, we're gonna continue to run. We have incredible assets all over the world uh, that will continue to operate and
1: to grow.
0: Yeah, that's right. Even with their dad in office, the Trumps are still growing their business in places like India, Philippines, Indonesia, Uruguay. They're all over the world. It's like the amazing race with no running and no chins. Don and Eric are doing so much international business It almost feels like Donald is just trying to not spend time with his sons. You know, it's almost like he's like, boys, I've got a new business for you to take care of. It's on Mars. It's like, but dad, there's no way to get back from Mars. And I appreciate your sacrifice. Bye bye. (laughs) And I know this is crazy to say. I know this is crazy to say, but at least Donald and Eric are one step removed from the presidency. Because there are other Trump children who are in business and governments.
2: Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump's roles in the White House opened up another potential avenue for foreign influence. Officials in at least four countries talked about ways they could manipulate Kushner, in part by taking advantage of his complicated business entanglements.
0: Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner took in as much as $135 million in revenue last year. That includes almost $4 million Ivanka Trump pulled in from her stake in the family hotel here near the White House, Mm. where diplomats and foreign dignitaries spend big money. Last year,
2: China approved more than a dozen trademarks for Ivanka Trump branded products. The timing, just as the US and China were trying to restart trade talks, raised eyebrows.
0: Okay, come on. China approved a dozen trademarks for Ivanka right as her dad was negotiating trade deals with China? You can't tell me that's not suspicious timing. I mean, it's like how right before Christmas, my mom said that a horrible accident happened at Santa's factory, <laughs> yeah. how, this, how does this happen every year, mom, huh? <laughs> they need to look into safety regulations at the factory, or I'll never get my toys. <laughs> and China does not mess around with its trademarks. That would, that's what you have to understand. For instance, Michael Jordan had to fight for four years to trademark himself, yeah. The Chinese courts argued that this was not Michael Jordan, yeah. <laughs> They were like, no, that could be anyone. They were like, yeah, I was jumping the other day. Who knows, that's me, that could be me. That's how crazy they are about trademarks. And I mean, that's wild. This would be like saying that this isn't Don Jr. I mean, no one else (laughs) has ever sat on a stump like that. We know who that is. Stump man, stump man, stump man. Now let's be clear, let's be clear. I'm not defending Hunter Biden. I don't know him. I don't know about his business. All I'm saying is that the last people who should be talking about the blurred lines of family names and political influence are the people currently running their home office from the White House. We'll be right back.
2: Comedy Central is bringing back the iconic prank call show, Crank Yankers, and now it's also a podcast. Every weekday, you'll get to listen to a classic prank call never before heard in the podcasting space and featuring A-list talents such as Jimmy Kimmel, Tracy Morgan, Stephen Colbert, Sarah Silverman, and Wanda Sykes. Listen to the beloved characters from the TV show calling unsuspecting civilians and start your day with a wake-up call you'll actually enjoy. Subscribe and listen to new episodes of Crank Yankers every weekday, wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to The Daily Show. My first guest tonight was just 16 years old when she was convicted of killing a man who solicited her for sex and sentenced to life in prison. After serving 15 years, she was granted full clemency and tells her story in the new book, Free Centoia. My Search for Redemption in the American Prison System. Please welcome, Centoya brown <laughs> There are few stories you will read in a book, fiction or fact, that have as many twists and turns as the real life that you have lived. I knew a few details of your story, but reading through the book is a really powerful and painful and then redemptive experience at the same time. When you wrote the story again, was it hard for you to relive some of the decisions and some of the things that happened to you in your life that got you to where you ended up?
1: It was. You know, when I started writing the book, I had thought that I had dealt with everything that had happened to me. And when you're actually writing those things, it brings up, you know, that, that time, that moment, you have to step back in there, especially when I started working with a writer, who's an amazing writer, Bethany Mauger, asked really great questions, asked me, you know, about some of the things that I was feeling and thinking, mm-hmm. things that I, I really hadn't given much consideration to, and, you know, it opened those moments back up. And so it was really good to be able to just really process that and to, to just really step back in those moments, even though it was hard.
0: One, one part of your story that is particularly powerful and complicated is when you talk about your relationship with the idea that you were involved in sex trafficking. Mm. And it's really, really gripping in the book because you say you didn't consider yourself to be part of sex trafficking in any way. You know, you it, it, there's a passage where you say, I thought of sex traffic victims as people who were in suitcases or stuffed into containers and chained, and yet I thought I had a boyfriend when in fact this was your pimp who was making you do what you, would, what you, what you were doing in the world. Is that part of the problem that we face in dealing with sex trafficking is that some of the people who are involved in it don't think of themselves as being victims in the, pro- in the situation?
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, if you can't identify, you know, victims when it comes to some of the people who are supposed to be saying, you know, this is child abuse. I came across a study where, I think it was 57% of mandatory reporters where these are counselors, these are teachers, these are yeah. people who are in constant contact with youth. They're supposed to report every instance of child abuse, and fifty-seven percent of them thought that some teenagers willingly prostituted themselves, thought that some teenagers traded wow. sex for for shelter, for food, because they did it, they consented. And that's just not the case. That is abuse, that is exploitation. Mm-hmm. And these individuals aren't reporting it. And if you have them saying you're not a victim, you're actually willingly doing this, why wouldn't I would not believe it? And so for so long. You know, I thought I, I just consented, I was just promiscuous because that's what I was being told by society. And so it took for a campaign from a group in Tennessee called End Slavery that you know, they stressed that there's no such thing as teenage prostitution. I didn't know anything about the federal statute that said anyone who's a minor you know, it's actually a trafficking victim. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as consent. And, you know, that was hard to kind of face. I used to argue with people when they said, you know, you were taken advantage of. No, I wasn't, I knew what I was doing. And that's just not the case.
0: It's really hard to be in that situation where you you still want to maintain your agency, but at the same time, you have to admit that something was done to you. Right. You faced the ultimate punishment for what happened to you in your life, and that was after this man solicited you, took you back to his place, abused you and essentially held you captive in his world. You killed him and you were sentenced to life in prison. Was meant to be over 50 years. You served 15, which is essentially a life sentence because you were 16 years old at the time. In that time in prison, what did you think your world was going to be? You know, because you went in as a 16 year old
1: well, I don't know, but I know that ever since I was in prison, I'd always dreamed of, you know, living a real life. I'd never let go of hoping that I would get out one day. Um, so I really feel like I'm I'm living my dream right now. Wow and yeah, so I always kept I always kept that faith and kept that hope.
0: Is that is that why you studied in prison?
1: It is. Because like, that,
0: that was that was yeah. fascinating to me in the story is he has somebody who's going to spend the rest of their life in jail. There is no promise that you will get out. Mm -hmm. And yet here you are studying, furthering your education, trying to just make the best of the time that you have. Why do that when you don't think you're going to get out?
1: Because I didn't believe them. Like, I didn't believe them when they told me I had life. I would make a point of when I would say things, you would hear a lot like, of people say, you know, if I get out or if my confession is overturned, I would always say, when I get out. And I know my husband, I would talk to him all the time. Well, when I get out, I wanna do this. And he would always be like, well, let's cross that bridge when we get there. But it's just something that came so natural. When I get out, when I get out, when I get out. And it was like that for the entire 15 years.
0: When we look at the criminal justice system today in America, mm-hmm. it is an unfortunate fact that there are many Santoya Browns oh, yeah who are experiencing its adverse effects. If there was one thing you wish would have been different when it came to how your case was handled, what would you wish that thing would be that would be applied to every case going forward?
1: My case specifically? Um, number one, I, I do think that there are things that I, I needed to be held accountable for. And I think there are a lot of cases with juveniles who commit certain crimes there has to be a level of accountability there has to be consequences however a juvenile is not the same as an adult even the supreme court has already ruled that several times in a, a string of cases so it just doesn't seem like it makes sense to me for the supreme court to say that juveniles are not as culpable as adults however they can get the same
0: sentence they can
1: get the same sentence right And so I definitely think that that should have been different. I think it needs to change. It's still the case now. You still have juveniles who are tried as adults, and they receive the same exact sentences as adults. And I just, I think that's one of the things that needs to change. And and to be honest with you, I think a lot of sentences are just excessive in general. I think that 51 years is is ridiculous. Like, if you're going to give somebody life without parole, give them life without parole. Don't say... I'm gonna give you a chance at parole after 51 years. That's not a chance. That's a death sentence. Like who's gonna make 51 years in prison? Nobody.
0: You have lived a story many wouldn't dream of living or have nightmares of living. You've come out on the other side, you still smile. You say you're living your dream. Mm -hmm. You have the opportunity to live now. What are the things Centoya does where you just go like, man, this is, apart from being free, this is just what life is about.
1: Um, honestly, like, when I'm just at home, sitting on the floor, watching a movie, I've cooked, I got my hair all over my head, (laughs) just, you know, just, just chilling, like, this is it, this is what life is about, I don't have to worry about, you know, watching the clock because it's gonna be count time, or I need to hurry up and get my shower in before lockdown, you know, it's just, just being able to be free.
0: That's all you can ask for. Thank you so much for being on the show. Wonderful having you here. (laughs) Free Centoia, a stunning book, is available now. Centoia Brown Long, everybody. We'll be right back. (laughs) Welcome back to the Daily Show. My next guest is a writer. Actor and stand-up comedian with two hit Netflix comedy specials and the film Always Be My Maybe. She has a new book called Dear Girls: Intimate Tales, Untold Secrets, and Advice for Living Your Best Life. Please welcome Ali Wong. Thanks, the Charlie
2: Thanks, Trevor. It's my first time being
0: here. It is your first time being here. I feel like it's <laughs> been um, it's been way too long because like I watch everything you do, and mm. I'm like a giant fan, and then I see you everywhere else. And oh then... my
2: God, you're like stalking me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, for real. Congratulations <laughs> on everything you've done. I mean, Thank you. like we watched you blow up in stand-up, which everyone loves, and then. The the thing that really brought me joy was just seeing how you kick ass in movies as well.
2: Oh, thanks so you, much. You're a movie
0: star now. You realize that, right?
2: Woo! It was it, it, it was really fun, and I got to mac on those three fine ass dudes. That's you watched true. the movie, right? That's true. I know. Yes. It was like, who wrote this thing? Like, whose right. idea was this? Yeah. Who was in charge?
0: You have Keanu Reeves fighting over you. I mean, (laughs) and then he came to your show, didn't he?
2: He came to my show, uh, which was amazing. He was so sweet and he was like in such a good mood afterwards, too. He was really smiley. Um, Yeah, it was the best. Do people get
0: confused though if. If, like, Keanu Reeves plays your boyfriend in a movie and then they see him at your show, isn't someone like, uh, I think it's real.
2: No No one, no one, I mean, like, I'm cute or whatever, but no one thinks that he really (laughs) wants to date me. They were like, that movie was straight-up fiction. Like, all my friends were like, Ali, you're you're cute, but you ain't that cute. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um... You have fans of your stand up, you have fans of your movies, but a book is a very different medium for us to engage Ali Wong in your first book. It is. And it's also an interesting style of book. You've written this book Dear Girls, it's specifically written to your children?
2: Letters to my, my two daughters. Right. I have two girls who, um, are under the age of four. And the first one was in that striped dress Mm -hmm. when I filmed, uh, Baby Cobra. And the second one's in the leopard dress. And, um, (laughs) they're very aware of it too. Like they know which, which ones they were. And, uh, I wanted to, my dad wrote me this letter before he passed away. And my, my real name is Alexandra. And it was started with Dear Alexandra. And he like reflected a lot on our relationship and how I had affected his life. And um, it was a short letter and I I love it so much. Wow. But I wish that he had written me more because after he passed, it was too late to ask him all these questions about who he, when he, when I was born, like he was already the successful anesthesiologist. Right. And in the same way, like when my girls were born, they only know me, um, after I filmed those two specials, and they don't know like what it took for me to get where I am and how I before the grind before, and I think that's yeah. so that's such an important life lesson. They and I want them to know that I wasn't, you know, that I struggled a lot, and then I had to work really hard. So
0: it, it really so. is an interesting book because you know when 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 I first got the book, they were like, oh no, Ali wrote this for her two daughters, and I was like, oh, this is gonna be like a cute little like kid's book.
2: Oh no, and then she writes about like erectile dysfunction. Yeah. Like, that, that she experienced while living in New York. Yeah, house. yeah.
0: And then I was like, this is uh this is like, it's very, uh, it's, it's graphic and it's real. It's like, yeah. it's very real. <laughs> like, I'm assuming it's not for them now.
2: No, they're like reading like, they're watching Daniel Tiger. I hope they watch like, it's so, there's so much like dirty content in there. That's yes. like even more dirty than my specials that I hope that they watch the specials long before they
0: read the book. Right. But, but it, I mean, as much as it is for your daughters, it, it really is for women in general. That's what I, that's what I love about the book, because you're telling your story. And, for instance, you share stories about stand-up comedy that I would have never thought of and have never experienced because I'm a man in stand-up. So, for instance, you just talk about how much you have to love stand-up as a woman. When Like, you, you talk about, like, going to... Like, walking to your car yeah. at, like, 1 a.m. I, I by think, yourself. I think and... the reason...
2: I think a big reason why there aren't more women who do stand-up, it's not, getting on stage is the easy part. That's the fun part. And being funny is the fun part. But going on the, you have to go on the road to be a great stand-up, because you have to test out your material in all these different cities, Mm -hmm. in front of all these different audiences. And that's, it's a safety issue. I think that's why more women don't do it, because when you go on the road, the first day you go out, as you know, you get into a car, with four strangers. Always, yes. From your from your and it's crazy. You yeah. just like get to a car and you're like, I never met this person before. Yes. They could kidnap it's like, you. It's like a and random thing. And you're very thing. kidnappable. Yes. But you could defend yourself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but no, but this is, I mean, like, because like when we started was before Uber, before any of that. So like what would be funny is you'd get to like a random town. This would happen, like every comedian has a story. You get to a random town, you're performing in a random comedy club, right. and then they just tell you, like, Jim is gonna pick you up. <laughs> right. And you're like, who's Jim? They're like, he works with the club. You're like at the club or with the club? Yeah, there's and no picture there's being No, no, you don't know who Jim is. Some guy's
2: coming in some, like, 1975 Toyota Corolla that smells like the ghost of, like, (laughs) a dead comic sperm. (laughs) And you're just like... Are you like, is this for yes. real? New-
0: every time you get in the car, there's always a, there's always like, it's, you get in the car and the person says, oh, you can just throw that on the back seat. There's always something on the oh back that you have to throw. There's like old
2: Fritos yes. and yes. stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, I can imagine how unnerving that must for be. For a man,
2: you. that's like, oh, this is gross, yes. but so is my
0: apartment, whoever, right. whatever.
2: <laughs> but for a woman, it's like, am I going to get killed? <laughs> you like every time, you right. know, you think about that. And it's a. Uh, It it was, like, I think about the days when I started, and I would never want my daughters to go through that. You also talk about,
0: like, like just the journey of of your rise in comedy. You know, you talk about your success, the grind that came behind it, but then you talk about, like, just the experiences that you've had where where someone, you know, many people, in fact, tried to reduce you to just you know, your, your, your factor. So they went like, right. oh, you, you're getting, you're successful just because oh my you're Asian, just because you're a woman, just because you're pregnant. There's
2: so many, there was a guy who, I, I won't name names, he's not a very successful comedian, so I don't even know if you would know who he was. No, I don't. But he came <laughs> up to, he, <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't know, you're, you're out of there now. Uh, but he like came up to me while I was pregnant the second time, and he touched my belly with his like fat, sweaty hand, which is so gross to begin with. It's like, It's like, why don't you finger me while you're at it? This is so not okay. Like, just because I'm pregnant, doesn't mean it's okay for you to touch my belly. And he was like, oh, so this is your shtick? This is like your thing now, right? And I'm like, I was like, getting pregnant is not rainbow suspenders. It's not a shtick. And then he was like, you're so lucky, Allie, because you get all of this attention because you're both a female and a minority. And I was like, yeah, because you know, historically that's always been the winning combo for recognition and success and he was like and he was like you know what I mean like me I'm just another white guy and I was like be a better white guy there's so many successful there's like there's Jimmy Kimmel there's Will Ferrell there's Nick Kroll there's John Mulaney I can name like I could go on this whole show for like 35 days. We'll do, like, another show just of successful (laughs) white comedians.
0: Just be a funnier white guy. Like, that's it. So, um... The girls are going to read the book. Girls out there will read the book. Women can read the book.
2: Men can read the book, too, Trevor. I like yeah. that. I did. I did. Yeah. I did. I did.
0: So, dear My, girls. H- my
2: husband wrote the afterword, too. Oh, it's yes. very sweet. Yes, you're,
0: he did. He wrote a beautiful thing about how, like, you consult with him about the jokes that you will tell about him on stage, which is really nice. Yeah. I like that. That and was really it, sweet. It
2: was very sweet. And what it's like... To be married to me, you know, because people, that's the number one question people will ask him all the time. Because they think I'm like standing up on a couch with like a growing life form inside of me, just like screaming <laughs> these like very funny anecdotes at him all the time. And he's like, that's not, you know, <laughs> that's,
0: how it that's is. not our life. Um, Ali Wong, congratulations on Thank another you. successful endeavor. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for being on the video. You can catch Ali on the Milk and my Tour. Dear Girls is available now for everybody. Ali Wong, everybody